Uh, and it'd be great if you want to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. So we're going we're gonna to look in, in just a moment. But as we begin, I want to ask you, what do you want for Christmas? What are you hoping for? What do you want? Is it a new, a new toy? Like, I'm not talking about like a teddy bear or like a train set. Is it a new toy? Is it like the quad bike? Is that what you're hoping for for Christmas? Is it the new gadget? The new appliance? Is it, is it maybe something less tangible? Are you hoping for, do you want for Christmas time? Restful, peaceful time with your family? Do you want just those, those two to be able to sit next to each other at Christmas lunch without bickering? Is that what you'd really like? What are you longing for? Maybe you're just longing for just a rest, some downtime, holiday. Well, let me tell you, I don't, I don't want a lot for Christmas. Uh, actually, there is just, just, just one thing, one thing I need. Uh, now, I don't really care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. Um, I don't need to hang my stocking there upon the fireplace. Santa Claus won't make me happen, won't make me happy with a toy on Christmas Day. I just want you for my own, more than you could ever know. <laughs> make my wish come true, because all I want for Christmas is you. Uh, that's not actually words that I've put together. That's Mariah Carey, isn't it? Uh, all I want for Christmas is you, the famous uh, most famous Christmas song of the last 30 years or so. Uh, but you know, as I was kind of looking into this, Mariah Carey wrote that song in 1994 and released it. Um, and just turn this on. Here we go. There she is. Uh, uh, when she was married to uh, Tommy something, I've forgotten his last name, uh, and she wrote that song and you can imagine how like romantic it was, uh, having actually been the actual guy that had this song written and, and sung about. Uh, but you know, it was only a couple of years later before all she wanted for Christmas was this guy. <laughs> Derek, someone, a baseball player. And then if you keep tracking things, there's about six more guys in the queue. Uh, famously, James Packer, a number of years ago, was engaged to her. Uh, but the reality is, Tommy wasn't all that she wanted. He was disappointing in some ways. And she later wrote about the relationship that he was controlling and uh, abusive. Too often, the things we want for Christmas, even the most special things, the things that are more than material goods, too often those things turn out to be disappointing. Too often the things we want let us down. Uh, too often, well, we don't really know what's, what's going to work out best, do we? And so this Christmas uh, at St. Stephen's, we're going to ask a different question. Not what do you want for Christmas, but what do you need for Christmas? Not what you want, 
What do you need? And instead of kind of just imagining as best we can, putting our heads together to try and figure out the answer, we're going to ask the one who knows best. And we're going to do it as we look at a couple of sections from the book of Isaiah, from chapter 8 and 9, as God speaks and tells us through the prophet what it is that his people really need. Not necessarily what they want, but what they need and what ultimately God provides for us in Christmas. So if you'd open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. I'll have to do that as well. And we're going to read uh, from, we're going to start from verse 9. We're jumping in partway through uh, a section, but we'll pick it up and we'll understand what's going on. The word comes, Raise the war cry, you nations. Be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. It's pretty emphatic, isn't it? (laughs) Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand. For God is with us. Or as your footnote may say in your Bible, Emmanuel, God is with us. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They'll be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal it up. Seal up God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. Here Isaiah speaks from God. And he's speaking to a people who are very conscious that Assyria is a rising superpower in the ancient Near East. They have the people of Israel, the people of Judah, uh, the people who God has set apart for himself, are getting scared. And as Assyria gets bigger and scarier over there, do you know what they're doing? They are falling all over themselves to establish alliances with the other kind of smaller nations around. If we get together, if we align ourselves with these people, with this king, we'll be safe. But God's word through Isaiah to them is, doesn't matter who is against us, who is planning battle, who is surrounding us, what strategies they have, ultimately they're going to fail. 
when they come up against God. And God is with us. See, what's, what's God saying here? Ah, oh, that slide hasn't worked. He's saying, what you really need, my people, isn't a better war strategy, isn't a bigger army, isn't more people to fight. What you need is my presence. What you need is my presence with you. When God is with you, his people are safe, aren't they? They can face the scariest of human opponents, the biggest armies, and they can be safe. That has been God's consistent promise to his people when they stand firm and trust in him. When they are faithful to him, he will look after them. He will deliver them from their enemies. He will give them prosperity. He will look after their welfare. And yet again and again, they fail to trust. They fail to understand this simple fact that all they need is him with them. Horses and armies are a vain hope for deliverance. God says to Isaiah, I'm with my people. That's where safety is. That's where security is. There is a refuge with the Lord. As we sang about earlier from Psalm 46, God is our strength and refuge. That's what his people need to get in their head. They need his presence. But they find this really hard to understand. And and as God kind of gives the inside word to Isaiah here, the kind of latter part of the, of, the, of the prophecy seems to not be something that was announced publicly, but it was a word that was to Isaiah more privately and maybe shared amongst only his disciples. It was bound up, this testimony of warning. It wasn't shared publicly. What did it say? It said to Isaiah, don't be like these people these unfaithful people who fail to keep trusting me, who fail to recognize that security is me being with you. Don't be like them. Don't fall into the trap of thinking like them. Don't call conspiracy everything they call conspiracy. Don't feel what they feel. Don't dread it. You know this reality. Safety is with the Lord. But then he also warns Isaiah about this surprising fact that what these people most need of God being with them is a sword that cuts two ways. Because God's power and his strength are safety for those who trust in him. Uh, But they are also something that causes division. Something that not everyone can come to terms with, not everyone's willing to accept. That God's presence with them will divide See what he says in verse 13 and 14? The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy, set apart. He's the one you are to fear. He's the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place both for Israel and Judah. He will be a a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he'll be a trap and a snare. See, this is a bit surprising, isn't it? God's promise, this prophecy about his being with his people isn't going to lead to their comfort and 
all of them being safe. It's actually going to lead to a separation, a division. There'll be those who are safe who find refuge with him in his holy place. But there'll be some who aren't willing to accept God's presence in the form that it takes. Some for whom his holiness, his set-apartness, will be an obstacle. See, for Isaiah, for those who would trust God, they need to recognise him as not just as powerful but as holy. And to be willing to, to trust and receive God's strength and, and, and protection, they also need to be willing to come to him as one who is holy. But many won't. Many, it says in verse 15, will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Many will miss out on taking refuge with the Lord. Many will miss out. This is the promise that God is making. And we see as, as history takes, takes place, as we see things unfold for God's people, this is exactly what happens. As Assyria does come and conquers the northern kingdom of Israel and kind of even surrounds the city of Jerusalem, laying siege to it. Ultimately, people are struggling. Whether Do we keep holding on to the promises God's made that he will save us? Or do we look for other avenues? Do we keep finding, calling on people for help, other armies? Do we trust in our strength? Do we try and make a, a surrender and compromise with the Assyrians? That might be the best way forward. There are, there's infighting and, and division amongst God's people as they argue over what to do. And ultimately, many of them do die. Uh, eventually, though, those who stay faithful to God, those who trust in him, are saved when God miraculously causes havoc amongst the Assyrian camp. And without any, any work of Israel, of, of God's people, any kind of strength in their battle, the army leaves. They, they flee back to Assyria. But as time goes on, still we see that the people are not willing to be faithful to this God who is holy, this God who asks of them particular things to, to do in response to his salvation that he's provided. And they continue in their ways of unfaithfulness, even to the point of turning aside to other gods. And God judges them through the next superpower, Babylon. And many of them stumble and fall and are lost. Now, this is kind of what immediately follows as, as history takes place after following this prophecy. But as we read this today, we read it knowing that the words Isaiah spoke and the fulfilment that was to come was only partially uh, realised in that day with the superpowers of Assyria and Babylon. We realise that the promise of safety with God's presence 
is ultimately found when God's presence comes in human form, when the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us at Christmas. When we meet the child who is Emmanuel, God with us. And we know that ultimate safety and security and protection is found in him. And yet we know that that he is the stumbling block to so many. So many of God's Old Testament people, the Israelites, the Jews, weren't willing to accept him. Here's what it says in John chapter 1. Should use the bookmark. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, his own race, the Jews, but his own did not receive him. On whole, Many stumbled because of God's presence in Jesus. He was surprising. He wasn't what they thought they needed. They were more concerned, more afraid of the, the armies of the other nations, the, the oppression, the, the foreign government that was ruling over them. That's what the kind of thing they were looking for. That's what they thought they wanted for Christmas. was freedom from the Romans. They weren't ready for what God knew they needed. His presence that would provide protection and salvation from an even greater enemy. The enemy of sin and death. They weren't ready for his holiness. That Jesus is different and set apart. And that he wasn't like them, what they expected him to be. And he called them to repent of their ways, to turn away from their sinfulness and unfaithfulness, to come after him. And they, that, was, that was too much. They weren't willing to receive it. Yet, John says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's, that's the, the great promise of Christmas, isn't it? That Jesus comes as God's presence to be with us as humanity and to be with us as a saviour, one who will rescue us. And we know he does that as he grows, as he lives, and ultimately as he dies, as he pays our penalty for sin, facing God's anger on the cross, the anger that we deserve, as he rises again in triumph over death, proclaiming victory. And offering us new life. That's the hope that Isaiah was looking forward to. The ultimate hope of God's presence with us. The challenge for us at Christmas is, are we willing to receive God's presence as it comes? Not as we'd like it. Not as we imagine it should be. Not as it would be nice but as it actually comes, as God decides what form it's best for us. 
are we willing to receive the salvation in Jesus, but not just the salvation? Are we willing to receive the call to come follow him in his holy life? To live as people set apart. See, that's, that's something we don't always talk about at Christmas, is it? We talk about the free gift of Christmas and how wonderful it is that God gives us salvation in Jesus. And that is, it is a very important thing to celebrate. But with the free gift comes the call to respond, doesn't it? to live in light of this free gift, to take up our cross and follow him. It's the gift that costs us nothing to receive and yet costs us everything to enjoy, isn't it? God knows that we need his presence, his saving presence. But he also calls us to holiness. Have you received the gift of Jesus? The gift of God's presence and the salvation that he offers? And if you recognize how wonderful this is, are you living in light of it? If you have received the gift, if you know and appreciate the cross, are you living as a disciple? Are you, are you living a life of repentance and faith? It's easy, to, it's easy to say yes in theory, but it's much harder on the ground, isn't it? As he calls us to holiness, there's parts of our lives that we like to hold on to. There's parts that we kind of, we wish we didn't need to address. There's habits and priorities and commitments and relationships that need our attention. As we consider Christmas this year and as we Think about what we need. Uh, please remember, we need God's presence. And God has provided his presence. God the Son, Emmanuel. He calls us not to stumble over him. Not to stumble, but to be willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus is the greatest gift, the gift we need. There is a truth that we should be able to sing, shouldn't we? All I want for Christmas is you. Not about your uh, fiancé or husband or girlfriend, or, but about Jesus. Because God knows. Ultimately, he is what we need. He's what he's provided for us. Right, let's, uh, let's, let's praise him. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you do give us what we need. Please help us. Please help us to 
see things not as the world sees them, not as too often your unfaithful people see things. Help us to see our own needs as you see them. Help us to see our desperate need for forgiveness and salvation in Jesus and our need to live new lives as his followers. Please transform us more and more this Christmas that the lives we live may reflect the wonderful truth of who he is and what he's done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.